0: Welcome to the Product Makers Podcast, where we interview and have open conversations with product makers and leaders from both large enterprises and startups about their experiences in growing successful products, teams, and companies around the world. I'm your host, Adam Davis, here at Product Board. Today, my guest is Parveen Downer, a Senior Product Manager at Symbol, based here in London. Today in this episode, we discuss a topic that we feel isn't discussed enough. We're talking about people skills and product management. We dive into why the term soft skills doesn't quite cover the nuances and importance of people skills. We discuss the different types of mindsets people have, such as growth versus fixed, and what impact they can have on your career. And finally, why being a sharp communicator is so important with some great examples of how you can start improving your people skills. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, Paraveen, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Nice to be
1: here. Thanks for having
0: me. So for folks that don't know, what does Symbol do?
1: Yeah, so Symbol is a B2B healthcare startup. And really what we are building is software to power healthcare businesses. So private healthcare in the UK to start with. Uh, you know, maybe one day we'll take over the the NHS and other parts of other countries. Uh, but for now, what we're aiming to do is to have a platform where doctors and their various associates and admins to run their business in one place. So take patient bookings, have a whole medical records uh, part of the system, integrate with really key medical partners, uh, and run their business from so an invoicing and analytics perspective as well, and really get that quality care to the patient and and see their patients through the whole journey
0: and you're based in london based in london yes awesome and how big's the team
1: so the product team is now five people uh, but the wider business is about 65.
0: okay really all right we're going to jump into conversation soon but with all our guests we like to kind of warm the waters a little bit and do a bit of a quick fire round so listeners get to get to know you before we jump into the meaty bits does that sound okay yeah great all right so we ask everyone these questions we'll get through them pretty quickly the first one is what is your favorite beverage
1: could be anything yeah this is a bit of a tough one because kind of two for thai so i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna say two uh the first one is taro milk bubble tea with tapioca pearls there's just something about it It tastes like purple it's magical and then any kind of like really bright iced tea when i mean bright I mean like loaded with fresh mint and citrus and just really refreshing even in the winter it feels like it's summer
0: yeah yeah i was in taiwan a couple years ago and we had a lot of milk tea bubble tea
1: can't get enough of it
0: yeah all right what is your favorite travel destination and why
1: i have been to portugal a few times and i have never had a bad experience there and i'm definitely in my wine era portuguese wine era okay. so i'm uh if i see portuguese wine on the menu you know i'm ordering it uh, they also have a great sense of humor and the food is mm, beautiful i love it
0: switching gears a little bit what's your favorite product at the moment could be anything mine's mine dyson currently what's yours
1: interesting i had most So like digital products, I am a big Slack fangirl. I love their tonality of all of their messaging. And I know they've recently made an update to sort of help you focus in the product. And I just, I really admire the way that they do product management and their execution. It's very, it's my sense of humor. They're also really funny on LinkedIn. I don't know who's doing all of their marketing, but top notch.
0: Yeah. I haven't, I need to follow them on LinkedIn. Highly recommend. I've tried their new layout and I don't love it. I couldn't find mm. my saved anywhere. I couldn't find my saved oh. anywhere. And then I eventually found it. We had a, a good discussion yesterday in the product team about, yeah, who liked it, who didn't. How long did we think it was going to take until we liked it? What did we miss in the onboarding? Mm-hmm. Uh, but interesting Slack. Yes, big Slack user. All right. This is a good one. I like asking this one. What's one overhyped product topic that's going around at the moment? What do you think?
1: Gosh, I cannot escape posts about frameworks, a framework for prioritization, a framework for how to grow your sales and be a product-led business, like it's a framework overload. And a lot of times when I'm talking to product people, whether they're quite seasoned or quite junior, it's like, oh, I'm trying to follow this framework and it's just not working. And I think the point of it is that you take the best of what works from it, adapt it to your business and your needs and your the way you work and, and then go from there. Uh, but a lot of it's talked about in a really sort of high level idyllic sense. And I don't think that's very, I don't find it very helpful. Um, I do find the frameworks themselves, like the explanation of what it's meant to do and then i'll kind of like pick and choose what what would work but i do find these these posts about like and here's how to use the rice framework mm, a bit yeah. antiquated there's so much content already and i'm not really seeing original content around it uh, so that's why i think it's overhyped
0: yeah i did a presentation the other day where i had to get a screenshot of a linkedin post and i said here's 500 plus resources on product strategy <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and here it all is
0: yeah <laughs> No, I, I agree. Signal from noise and that one for sure with the quality. What's one thing you've changed recently in how you approach your work that's made a difference?
1: Yeah, this one comes from my manager, actually. She's uh, really challenged me to start thinking through the opposing views of what I am trying to present. So not just anticipating questions that I might get in, let's say, a presentation or Uh, an approach that we're going to take with what we're building next in our product but actually making a decision of like okay so if I do this thing what are the possible things that could go wrong what are the possible things that could go right and thinking that through for everything and it's been a, a big game changer for me because not only does it help me get to a better solution but it also anticipates different questions that I might not have initially thought about
0: yeah and do you do you like role play that or how do you get into that mindset
1: um I have to like actually like consciously get into that mindset because usually i'm just like yes i have this idea it's great and i did it so i'm just gonna go and do it so like an example was uh you know we are working on a new part we have some new ideas for our medical records part of our products and i keep getting all of these signals from around the business like oh i saw this cool new tool oh did you see this ai oh did you see this layout of this other product of a competitor or something like that and it's just like everything's coming from everywhere and um this is not i'm not paid to say that we're using product board but i do product board and I was like can we just put the insights there but also what it doesn't allow for on product board in the way that our company works is a discussion and a discourse that might come off of um, oh that's an interesting idea like what if we thought about these other things or look at this other tool I found so actually slack is better for discourse uh, in our business that that works for us and so thinking through like okay do I create a slack channel for this or do I just push everyone to product board do I do both and thinking through the pros and cons of all of those have been really helpful to see actually what's going to help most in the situation for me and for the business
0: love it all right final one what's your advice to having a successful career what do you think so far
1: for me it's always about intentionality that sounds really like new age goopy i do apologize for the word but um I do find that for me, the greatest success I've had is being intentional with the moves that I make. So I actually started off in uh, healthcare and the admin side of things, uh, in education, and then I intentionally moved to a startup so I could have a bigger impact and move faster because quite frankly, in the public sector where it worked, in the past, it moves quite slow. Uh, and then intentionally moving into product, once I learned about what it was, I thought, yeah, that's the job for me. You do a little bit of everything. You talk to a lot of people. You solve a lot of cool problems. Uh, so being intentional about, you know, what am I good at? What do I want to do more of? And uh, moving from there?
0: Well, today we're going to be talking a little bit about what you just mentioned there in terms of people. So today we're going to be talking a little bit more about the people side of product management. So we were talking earlier about how we just spend so much time talking about tactics and resources and framework, but not as much time on the the soft side. But as we were kind of discussing earlier, we don't love that terminology in terms of soft side. It doesn't really quite describe it. It's also not so really hard to kind of develop those skills. But yeah, I'd love to kind of Dive into this in terms of what skills do you think product managers, product makers need in order to be successful? Focusing a little bit more on the people side.
1: Yeah, I think the term soft skills is, I guess, because you can't. It's not as tangible as a hard skill, of like yes, I can do these calculations or I can, you know, do do this thing with a really physical output. Whereas a soft skill, an example of that is, you know, leadership or uh, perhaps it's even, you know, how you talk to people and like really getting and influencing them to sort of see the way you see things or helping get buy-in and collaboration. How do you measure that? So I think that's maybe where the term comes from, but I don't think it properly encapsulates just how important and how difficult those things actually are. I don't know. Do you have any ideas of what else it could be called (laughs) instead of soft skills?
0: It's a tricky one because they're they're very important. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're very important. They're hard to learn.
1: Like, it'll be the opposite of hard is soft, but like... Yeah. Is it really opposite? Does it need to be opposite? This is more of a philosophical question. That's where we're going.
0: Yeah, it's like yeah, the internet's saying people skills, interpersonal skills, leadership skills, mm-hmm. but they're definitely yeah those kind of core characteristics that I feel kind of separate the good from the great product managers and, and product makers. Yeah, you will soft skills. Yeah, but perhaps people skills for now.
1: People skills. Let's go with that. I like it. Yeah, I think the the people side of product management is the trickiest side and in fact we've had a new joiner on on my team and they've not been a product manager before they've worked with product people but not done it themselves and it's going to be very interesting to see their journey into from my you know a research background into product and what is it that they're going to pick up first is it the frameworks is it the people skills is it a mix of the both that uh, it's, it's going to be quite interesting to see but from people I've coached so I'm a product coach um, I, I coach people who are looking to move into product management and also looking for new jobs and in product as well. And the sort of patterns that I see is actually their mindset is the most important part of either finding that new job or progressing in one that they're already in. And when I say mindset, it's like, do you believe that you can do this job? Do you actually care about the people you're working with, not just the users you're building you know, these solutions for, but the people you're working with every single day, that could be your developers, your designers, your sales teams, your, your customer success teams, and really having empathy for the way that they work and understanding the pressures they're under. And then, you know, understanding why you might get a, no, you can't speak to this client today, or, oh, I'm too busy to do testing. <laughs> and <laughs> really understanding that sort of that empathetic side of it
0: yeah definitely like it's it's those kind of it's those traits as well in terms of putting a little bit of extra time in to prepare questions for a survey or make sure after it you analyze the feedback and you take some action from it or ensuring that your team understands what the upcoming sprint is or what the problem is or what the product roadmap is and that that kind of mindset to turn up make sure you're doing the right work i, I would almost like speaking to about that person that's kind of transitioning into the role. I would definitely think that if you've got the right people skills, you can kind of get away with it a little bit more versus knowing all more kind of tactical frameworks and how you approach things like that. Stuff's so really important. But if you've got that right mindset where you're open to feedback, you're good at communicating, you want to ask the right questions. And if you don't even know what the right questions are, you're at least kind of asking something to elicit some type of feedback to to get going. Yeah. How do you think like how? Where does that mindset come from? Like, is it based on... I don't know who they are as an individual and how they've grown up or is it the roles they had or is it something someone can learn
1: I think it's a combination of things I mean of course there's the influences for you growing up and what you've learned what you value how you show respect to people but I think it's also like a really key part of it is the culture of the company you know culture is the sum of everyone's behaviors and what you let people get away with you know get away with as in bad behavior or what you encourage the good behavior that's what gets reflected in that pool of behavior so I I think a lot of it comes down to the culture of the company, because I know, for example, I worked with them, I was speaking to a colleague of mine yesterday who's um, a researcher, and They've moved companies recently and they're having a lot of trouble working with a particular product person at the company. They're like, you know, how would how would you deal with this? You know, I, we had a really good rapport and I'm just finding that this person is I know they're not you, but, you know, it's I'm finding it really difficult because what's happening is they're being bombarded by all these research requests. And then they're just kind of going off and doing their own research. And I was like, OK, let's take a step back. Like, let's understand what is their motivation? What is their what pressure are they under? If we can understand why they're doing it, it's going to help us better diagnose how you approach it because of course the first thing we want to do is like let me fix it here's the things we can do to fix it like we'll have a weekly check-in we'll use these tools to keep track of insights and like actually before you push on any of that on anyone you need to understand their motivation and i think that kind of like taking a step back assessing the situation and underst- like being curious why is this person working that way and what pressure are they under and how can we work together to make this a better way of working, I think, is is really what we're trying to encourage. And I do I apologize. I think I've gone on a bit of a tangent. I don't remember what your question was, but that's what it sparked for me.
0: No, I think you're on to, I think you're on to a good point because there's like a lot of the product folks that I work with, there's like this fixed mindset where I know they're not that keen on changing things or they believe that like, I don't know, failure is the limit of kind of their abilities of what they're doing um they i don't know they might get frustrated and give up or they don't want to stick with something or communicate and then you have this kind of growth mindset and i think that's a lot more about kind of failures and opportunity to grow how you can approach things how you work with people and i wonder if it feels like those those beliefs in terms of how you shape your mindset can be influenced, as you were saying, by people around you. The company is a massive one, as you mentioned. Like I think for me, I was fortunate with the types of companies that I worked with that really provided that mindset of, it's okay if you fail, just keep going. Try something yeah. different. Yeah. Uh, and you see that with folks that work in companies that might not have that environment or even from a schooling or educational perspective as well in terms of the environment that they had. But I think it can definitely it can definitely be influenced 100% and changed.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's ever set in stone. But you also need people who are coachable, not just people who can coach. And I think sometimes that's not something that's maybe selected for in the interview process. I think it's one thing for someone to have achieved really great things and have excellent outcomes. But if they're not coachable or, you know, if they're just so set in their ways, I think that can be quite dangerous because then that mindset is, oh, I've already perfected it. It can't possibly be better. And well, nothing's ever really perfect. Product at different companies looks in different ways. You know, there's different practices, different things that Uh, You know, you might deliver, you might use X, Y, Z tools over here and ABC tools over here. And inherently the process you use to, for example, process an insight might look one way in one company and a different way in another company. So if you're just so set in your ways and things don't necessarily pan out the way you want, it can be frustrating. And I appreciate we're talking at a high level here. So I'd love to like dive into some examples of like what, what do... What this mindset, why does it matter? Um, So I think one of the things that I've come across with especially people moving into product management is they'll read all these articles and books and watch these YouTube videos of like, oh, I have to do this particular framework. I have to do like value versus effort and, uh, or sort of something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like, this is how I'm making decisions. This is the only thing I'm using to make decisions. And like, is it? <laughs> is, do you have that luxury? Because generally on most product teams, I don't know what you found, but, you know, there's other influences at play. For example, the company really needs to unlock a new market, whether it's a segment of, business a different country. And you know what, as much as my prioritization framework says that like I should do like this thing first, actually this thing lower on the list is going to unlock more revenue. And that's what you have to focus on first. And that just happens sometimes, you know, we well live in a capitalist society, we have to make money. And sometimes the money maker comes first, whether we think that's the right thing or not, based yeah. on our prioritization framework and we need to be able to bend and understand that, you know, if we don't make enough money, then we obviously will crumble as a business. So we want to keep everyone afloat. So yes, we will prioritize this thing that's lower down because it will unlock more money. And then we could do the really cool things because we'll still be running as a business. <laughs> that kind of mindset of being open to it, I think, is really important. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think for listeners and, and myself as well, it's about I guess reflecting on what type of mindset do you have and then how that has an impact on how you work with people and 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 your people skills and i think one of the one of the key areas or one of the key skills that uh, we've spoken a few times about or maybe around about is being a communicator being a really kind of sharp laser focused communicator so you can kind of cut through that noise why do you think it's so important for product managers to be really good communicators like it might be obvious but i'd love to love to hear your thoughts in terms of what it means to be a good communicator and um, why is it so important?
1: Yeah, I like this term sharp communicator. I think there's, it sounds like it should be harsh, but it's not. I think what what's meant by that is that you know when you're communicating whatever it is you need to you're pitching it at the right level for your audience so whether it's someone really senior they just want the cliff notes they just want the highlights and ultimately how is that going to affect the bottom line if you're explaining it to someone who's actually building something actually giving the context of why it's important and then solutionizing that how do we actually deliver this thing i think that keeping your audience in mind is really really important but the thing that isn't always talked about at least in you know what i was when i was doing my learning coming into the product world was honesty and transparency, like where where it's possible. Like, you know what? Sometimes you just aren't going to have the answers and that's okay. And I think this the culture bit comes into this as well, because you don't want someone grilling you like, why don't you know? And you know, that can be really traumatizing. But I know at Temple, we're really great at being like, you know what? I don't know. I can find out. And that's Matt with a great, okay, well, you know, at least we now have another unknown that will hopefully become a known in time. Um but that honesty is is so important. And if you can't be honest in your communication, uh maybe ask yourself why you have to lie. And <laughs> yeah. are you really being a sharp communicator if you have to sort of, you know, pull the wool over people's eyes?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think on the on the honesty side, that was definitely one of my biggest lessons kind of earlier on in my career and, and, and something that, yeah, I think since probably the I I was like a senior PM a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years into my career. And we were, without going into too many specifics on it, just we were, we were delivering on a project that was, was going to be late. We were way over, way over timelines. Wasn't going to deliver on, on um, the kind of key objective that we wanted to solve. And we just made a whole host of mistakes. And what we didn't do is we weren't super honest and transparent about what was happening. And after that, we kind of fell into quite a, micromanaging environment where you're expected to provide a lot more updates a lot more kind of visibility into what's going on, and that was certainly a mistake myself and the team made as well. And I think since then, just one thing I really kind of held true is like regular, like this stuff might sound quite basic, but just being really transparent with your manager. and I think that starts from day one in the onboarding when you're in your new company, uh, doing skip level uh, catch ups, making sure you're being very visible about your updates, what's working, what's not working, and just getting into that habit. Because if you don't, from my experience, it's very easy to fall into, well, I'm not sure if you should talk about that because I don't know how it's going to land. Like it doesn't matter. You need to be visible. You need to make sure that you are creating that environment for yourself and your teams in terms of that kind of psychological safety, I guess, as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important to get the, the transparency, right? Like, you know, we don't need to go into so much detail like, oh, well, this is the thing we found that was wrong, you know, is in our Angular layer. And like, you know, people aren't going to care about that unless you're talking to their developers. But they might care that actually this by having this particular piece of tech, this is a security risk and we need to get rid of it. Here's our plan to do it. And, and here's why. It's gonna unfortunately trump other feature work, and then that's sort of you know how do you find that right level to communicate uh, what you're working on too? And then I think one of the the things around being a sharp communicator that it was more of a realization we had. We have these lovely product lunch and learns in our company every month. We have either a guest speaker or one of us presents uh, on a particular topic, and we had uh, this really wonderful product. I think they're a fractional product manager, so they work with lots of different companies. Uh, And they talked about how part of being a great communicator is being explicit and being, and what what she meant by that was like, just say things as it is and be factual. And we were reflecting as a team of how actually it's really easy to do that within product teams, we, we don't have to add niceties and fluff into our slack messages like hey i need this help, help with this thing can you help or uh hey uh this thing isn't working how can we fix it but if you do that to other people in the business like for example on let's say a commercial team of some sort that might be taken as like oh i'm not doing my job or oh they're mad at me or like it's just taken in such a different way and because we're so used to being explicit in product but they're not necessarily on every other team i'm not saying every uh, commercial team is not explicit but perhaps they're not used to communicating in that way. We have to be mindful of what we're communicating and asking for things from other teams that we don't ask for it the same way that we do on the product team, which is very straightforward, very factual. Yeah. You do have to add in some fluff and niceties sometimes, and it's not a bad thing to do. But sometimes, you know, especially if you're remote, it's harder to build rapport. So if I just went to someone I speak to maybe once a month and be like, "Hey, I need this thing," it's just sort of seen as like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I guess."
0: Yeah, yeah. Th- this week we we're actually talking. We had a workshop on creating more cohesion and collaboration between product and gtm teams and that kind of like some of the real key takeaways are around building better relationship building in the ceremonies and the rituals to understand how you work together setting those expectations and i think that all helps becoming a sharp communicator and getting their feedback on it as well one thing I'd be keen to get your thoughts on is, like, we've been talking about it a lot, but why do you think we don't speak about people's skills enough for product managers? Like, why? Or maybe you do, but yeah, what are your kind of thoughts on that? To me, it feels like a topic we don't speak enough about, maybe personal development plans, or- six months or something
1: yeah yeah i completely agree i don't think it's talked about very much and i think part of it is because it is a big job and that's not to sort of say other jobs are small but there's it's obviously depending on the size of your company there's just so much on your plate like in those we are a series a funded startup right so we don't have product marketing manager uh, we don't have dedicated user researchers so we're really seeing everything from like cradle to grave when it comes to features and so there's just so much to do and so much hard skill that you have to learn, so much tactical skill that it's almost like, is there even room for the people skills? Um, It almost feels like it's okay for it to be secondary. And I think the analogy that I give when I'm coaching people is, you know, in, in medical school is a great example of this. So in medical school, you are getting so much information crammed into your head. How do you diagnose something? How do you recognize something? What's the next step in treatment for this patient's disease or condition? And then not very much time is spent on how do you deliver Deliver that news to the patient. And how do you actually say, do you know what, you have cancer and here's what's going to happen next. Or I'm really sorry, this thing didn't go right in surgery. And here's what's going to be done about it. Or here are the next steps. Like that's how you say something is just as important as what you're saying. But they spend very comparatively very little time on that. And I know I've seen a lot of advocates for that to change, but it's certainly not going to be overnight. So if you think about medical school, I think in the UK, it's about four years, pretty similar in Canada, where, where I'm from maybe two semesters out of the whole curriculum is focused on that. And then if you wanna do more, you can. And it feels very similar in product. It's like, okay, you learn how to do make a roadmap. You learn how to, okay, maybe there's a bit about storytelling and you know communicating to different stakeholders, but the actual people skills of how do you empathize with the developer when you've never been a developer? Or how do you distill information from a customer success person when you've never been in that type of role? That's not something we talk about very much.
0: Yeah interested on how you've approached it so it sounds like you you've certainly learned a lot from coaching others yeah how do you create that space for growth or or focusing on skills do you or is it something you kind of pick up throughout your your time on the job or do you like intentionally create space or time to develop these skills either people skills or, or otherwise
1: Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, it's very easy to make time for learning about tactical things, but it's a little bit harder to do for people skills unless you're taking a dedicated course or doing some. Role play or something like that, which is not something that, we, that I've certainly done a lot of. And um, for me, it's really around setting myself up for having that type of content reach me uh, yeah. on a weekly basis. And then, if I'm interested in a topic, I'll go read more about it. And then I'll set myself a goal for once a month to take one of those things I've learned and actually just action it throughout the month. So, for example, to get the information to me, I'll sign up to newsletters. Newsletters is a very easy way for me to learn. I don't enjoy reading whole books. I think there's there's a lot of good information out there. I'm not a book person, but I will read a lot of articles uh, and watch YouTube videos and things like that. And so there was one newsletter by Tim Ferriss, the Five Bullet Friday, short, sweet, every Friday, five things you might want to look at. Sometimes it's about text. Sometimes it's about music, but every single one finishes with a quote. And sometimes it's a poem, sometimes it's just like a one liner and it just sort of makes you think a little bit more about a way of working or existing as humans and are getting a bit philosophical here. But the other one I really like is Leadership Freak and it's about, I think it's 300 word blog posts uh, that are written and it's really good getting you to think about, okay, how am I operating as a manager or how am I operating as a, a colleague? And it might be like, here's some ways that you can say no, or here's how to see if your energy is being zapped. And I'll usually take inspiration from one of those and say, you know what, I actually could really focus on this thing. So one example was, how can I be more curious? This was years ago. I definitely developed this a lot more now. But like, how can I be more curious in the workplace? And I was like, why do I need to be, first of all? What's the point? And actually the answer was I'm gonna get better information if I don't just jump to conclusions about what the person's talking about or really do you know the whole ask ask why five times and then yep. you'll get the real answer. And so I did that for a month. I instead of my natural inclination was to just say, Oh, I know what you mean, or oh, I can answer your question. It's like, tell me more, like what made you come to ask this question or why is that piece of information really important or this analysis, what is it gonna help unlock for you in the business and really asking those types of questions for a whole months is really just now it's standard for me it's second nature
0: yeah the five whys is just game changer for for me when i was first introduced to it uh, so for for listeners it's it's all about kind of root cause analysis and getting to the the heart of what the problem is and essentially it's about asking five why's we actually we used to do it a couple of years ago on i guess production issues probably one of the best um examples where we would have the team that was responsible for it we'd go through that kind of root cause analysis to figure out what went wrong and then how we would how we would change it uh but I, yeah i love some of those thoughts in terms of how you think about personal growth for yourself one thing that i realized a couple of years ago was around how i learn and just not being too obsessed with this kind of how growth growth doesn't need to work in the same way for everyone like it's not this kind of step by step like i'm going to read a book on product strategy and then i'm going to know everything about product strategy it's like how you do it and for me audio was a massive one and different ways so i'll give you an example when i was interviewing a couple years ago i was practicing like the pitch of tell me a little bit about your career and what I quickly realized was the way I was doing it just wasn't working so what I would do is I would write it down I would record it and then I would listen to myself and watch YouTube videos on it versus before when it just wasn't working very well I would just do it in one way but what I started to find out was that I just learned in very different ways that I hadn't explored so since then I like read a little bit about a topic I'll listen to a podcast on it and then I'll try and chat with someone and having that kind of multiple different ways of consuming that information just really helped me so definitely worth trying uh, for folks if you if you um, if you're keen to kind of live up you I really
1: like that I think there's um, you know one of the things that I do when I first join a company is I'll set up one-to-ones with people so I can better get to know who they are how they work and sometimes I know it can come across as it sounds like an interview even though I'm the new person and I've already got the job so it doesn't need to be an interview but the types of questions I like to ask especially for people I'm going to work very closely with like developers on my delivery team a designer uh, people I manage so there's sort of like four main questions I ask and the first one is how do you like to be thanked because appreciation is important some people like the limelight it's okay to admit that some people like it in passing or written they get embarrassed if you do. It over like verbally, I think that's a really important thing to know about people. The second question I ask is, how do you like to learn? Because of course, I'm a big advocate for continuous learning and development. And if I know better how you learn, then if I come across something that might be of interest to you, then I'll suggest it in a medium that I know you're best going to respond to. So for you, it's audio. For me, it's reading or shadowing. That's really helpful to know. And then as a bonus, the other two questions are, how do you like to get feedback? Because there's nothing worse than just <laughs> giving feedback to someone in a way that they don't respond to. Uh, And then the last thing is like, what do you think could be improved in the way that this, operates, whether it's, you know, design and product relationship or developer product relationship or whoever I'm working with. So that's a really great way to build rapport easily uh, and quickly. If you, I say easily, it's easy to have a conversation. It's not easy to schedule all of them and have them, but it really gives you a running start to having a great team working uh, dynamic. Yeah,
0: I I completely agree. We're we're almost at time, but I got one last question for you. And I think probably circling back to people skills the importance of it and and why product makers and product managers should think about it one thing i'm always curious about is is there anything you do outside of work that you feel helps you in your day-to-day job
1: definitely definitely so three things. One is I get really creative. I love sewing uh, clothes. I love bead weaving and making jewelry. And I find just being able to design and create my the things that I wear or things for other people helps me be creative in work as well, because I can think about things with a different lens. And actually, some of the skills lend itself to each other. You know, building a product is not too dissimilar to building a garment. You have to design it first. You have to check that it's going to meet the requirements. Does it need to have a zipper? Does it need buttons? And I know that sounds really simplistic, but it is a really helpful way to to mirror that. Uh, I'm a girl guide leader as well. I've been in girl guides for over 20 years. I did the whole program in Canada and I also run a, a unit here in, in the UK. And I find it's very useful for practicing leading people and having that commanding presence. This is not something that I naturally do. So I find the need to practice it and it's a great place to do that. My unit are 10 to 14 year olds. So even harder to wrangle than senior stakeholders at a company. Uh, so that's a really good practice. And then the last thing is travel. I, I love traveling. I love eating new food, meeting new people. And it really helps me hone my curiosity skills, as you've heard me talk about already.
0: Awesome, Parveen. Well, thank you very much for the conversation. It was brilliant. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, and I hope Great. listeners did too. Just to wrap up, where can our listeners find you?
1: Great. Uh, LinkedIn is the best place to get me. So parveen.com downer um no more catfishing photos either finally updated it after like 10 years so <laughs> I, you'll find a nice colorful picture of me there um yeah please please do reach out there and if you like any foodie things you can find me on instagram of parve eats one word instead of parving um but yeah i can I'm sure i'll send you some links and that can be shared later
0: brilliant and one final one and there's no right answer to this but i'm curious what could our listeners help you with
1: oh that's a good question i would love to know what you want to know about people skills in products because I would love to be creating more content around people skills in products specifically. And so I'd love to know what are you struggling with or what would you like to know more of? So shoot me a direct message on LinkedIn and I'll uh, start the chat there.
0: Praveen, well, again, thank you very much for joining it. We covered a lot of ground and thanks for being on the podcast today.
1: Thanks very much. Great to be here.